and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.Consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I'm your host, Greg Ballard, and I am joined by Shauna Pelton. Uh, Shauna and I have had the privilege of um, the privilege of working together on a project the last several months, and uh, I've been really excited to have her here on the show. And we're going to be talking about some amazing things regarding transformational leadership. And so, Shauna. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. Um, Sean, if you could spend just a minute or two and share with us a little bit about your journey uh, of becoming a transformational leadership expert. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a bit of uh, one of those unexpected journeys. And, and um, it started off, my background was actually in natural medicine. <laughs> so I was working in the holistic health uh, world as a practitioner. And that started, gosh, a very long time ago. So I've been doing transformational work for about 20 or more years now. Um, and so as I was working with people, my, my, uh, who I would attract would be people who had serious hard to treat conditions. And I started to recognize that there were patterns that were involved in like how it was they had um, health issues and it was tied to unresolved conflict. And so then I started to kind of go down that rabbit hole. And next thing you know, I just couldn't stop. I'm a lover of learning. And so I couldn't stop exploring like the root causes of our most painful problems. So, you know, maybe about halfway through my career, one of the things that I was doing was working with, um, I actually started consulting physicians and I was working in clinics to teach them how to implement natural medicine into a clinical setting. And my favorite thing to do was train. I loved putting together training material, educating the the doctors and other clinicians on how to um, teach the content. And then I would essentially make sure, ensure their success with that training. Mm-hmm. Um and and so realizing training's my thing and loving uh, this this work of helping people to be in service because I'm also a service based uh, leader. Um, you know, I just decided to follow my own passions, my interests, and you know, here I am <laughs> working with really amazing people, entrepreneurs, business owners. Um, everyday leaders and professionals who are really wanting to make a positive impact on the world with their work and recognize that there's some things, whether it's behavioral, interpersonal, um, you know, things that need to change and they want to evolve themselves. They want to evolve their company culture for the benefit of, of not just the stakeholders, but for everybody, you know, the shareholders, the, are that, you know, everyone involved and um, the communities that they serve. Fantastic. So uh, here's my first question out of the gate. And it's a two-part question. Um, Mm -hmm. So when we think of transformation, we think of change. And and I know you're phenomenal at this. Like, so we, again, like I said, we've had a chance to work together. 
what do you see, what are you experiencing on the, on the front lines that is, number one, what is the biggest obstacle for an individual, right? So that's part mm-hmm. one. Part two, what becomes the obstacle for the organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a great. On that. So I think that um, I'll speak on it through my lens of experience. So I'm going to preface this by saying, obviously, I'll have a bias this way. <laughs> so what I believe from my experience and what I see a big, the biggest obstacle, um, you know, we stop ourselves uh, with our mindset. And it starts with belief, right? Sometimes people know that they have a problem and their stories that they have about that problem or about themselves in relation to that problem are usually stories that self-sabotage or hold someone back or just keep people in the, and for anyone who's listening and they don't see me (laughs) in this, like I'm moving my hands in a circular motion. It's like this cycle of, you know, you have this pattern, there's this problem that keeps happening and you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results and it causes people to stay stuck. And, And the reason why that's also the same problem for the organization is because this is not an uncommon problem in the organization is made up of people and we have Mm -hmm. people problems. And so the cultural problems are the people problems and the people problems are related to, you know, these things that I call the stories of not enoughness. And so by not enoughness, I don't know if you've ever heard of that term before, but people believe that they don't have what it takes. They're not, they're not good enough. Um, they believe that they're not safe. They're not safe enough. They're not loved enough. Um, you know, they're, they don't engender whatever it takes to make that change. These are all internal stories and belief systems that stem from, you know, usually childhood. So I, I hear everything you're saying, Shauna, and I completely agree. I see this in the work that we do as well. <clears throat> However, don't most people like not change? I mean, isn't there a point at a certain age where you're just going to be who you are and, and really there's no point in trying to change? <laughs> That's the exact story that people with a closed mindset would have for themselves, right? Like what, why bother? Why bother is an attitude and that keeps people safe. It keeps people familiar. Change is inevitable. We're constantly changing. Um, and it either happens to us, right? And we don't mm-hmm. usually like when it happens to us or we initiate it. We spark that we see the writing on the wall that times have changed and we have to adapt and evolve ourselves to meet the demands of this new paradigm that we're in. And so what's interesting, and this based on the science of like the way in which people change, um, it's the the part of the, the brain, like the, the gray matter, for example, it's constantly reshaping itself. Your experiences um, that you have that are new experiences are reshaping your brain. Um, not the fixed part, but the part that's that's uh, more mutable and flexible. Um, so it is possible to actually change. And then also there is something to be said about, I think that there is an inner desire. Like if someone doesn't want to change, you can't force it upon them. So if you're essentially like, if you're 
in a position where you're inspiring and motivating others like a team leader would, we have to take into consideration the the people on the team, their will, their desire for change, their willingness to see that the, where their stuckness is, where, where, what their problem might be in contribution um, to whatever the conflict might be um, or whatever the growth might be, right? What they can bring to that change. And I think that it takes some finessing. And that's really what a transformational leader can learn to do is to learn how to motivate and inspire people to fulfill their potential for greatness. So so that touches on something. So if I'm hearing you right, one, we're always changing. Two, um, you can change regardless of how, how ingrained or how long of a pattern, a habit that you've been in. But you need to have the desire to do so. Yeah. And so let's talk about what, when we deal with somebody that, is resisting change, right? Doesn't mm-hmm. want to change. Mm-hmm. Yet we we know that people will resist change and eventually change, right? Because they'll they were going to be forced to, um, or for whatever reason the um, that there's a t- the, the scales get tipped. There's enough of of a momentum that brings everybody along. What are some of the conditions or what are some of the you know, things we would need to look for? So let's, let's think about this organizationally, right? Let's move out of the individual um, mm-hmm. and move into the organizational. So say you're a change management leader um, you're, or you're a, you're a divisional leader, a department or organizational leader, and you know you have to initiate a new pattern of being, but you, mm-hmm. you also know that people are going to be resistant. What are some of the mm-hmm. things that um, in that role I or you would need to be thinking about to deal with that resistance. Yeah. So the there's two pieces to this. The first has to do with self, right? So what that means is in order to meet resistance in the workplace or within others, um, you have to know how to be with someone who's in resistance. And the reason, and I'll explain what this means and why it's so important. Um, Whenever you're in a situation that essentially is uncomfortable, resistance looks many different ways. Resistance resistance can look like judgment. It can look like criticism. It can look like confusion, self-doubt, blame. It can look like neediness. And so what ends up happening in those situations is it it has a way of triggering another person's defense mechanisms, right? Because we we get uncomfortable when other people are in resistance. And this is happening usually on an unconscious level. I believe that some people are conscious of a percentage of it, but the majority of these uh, responses tend to be unconscious. And so what we want to start with is making the invisible visible for these change leaders so that they can recognize their own um, reactions to the the resistance that they might face Mm -hmm. and the people that they're supporting. And so doing the work on the self is essential. So self-regulation, so your nervous system doesn't shut down, so you don't get reactive and blow up, so you don't give up, so that you don't um, lose sight of the prize or the goal, or you don't lose hope in its possibility. So that's the first and foremost thing to do is work 
on being with resistance to change. And then once you do that, then you can learn to work with resistance. And there's it's a skill set that takes a little finessing, but I think that m- when you learn how to be with it, then you know exactly what's happening in someone else so, so that you interject. can feel familiar. I want familiar. to interject here Please, real quick yeah. because when you say working with resistance, so the last several mm-hmm. years I've picked up some jujitsu, I roll around, sure. um, have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. And in, in that case, you're always working with resistance, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're sensing your partner wanting to go in one direction and you're yes. thinking, okay, I can let them go in that direction. I can use that momentum, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm going to try to use my frame and some leverage to prevent that. And so when you say what you just said just made me think of, of the jujitsu art and many yes. other martial arts of yes. using, using resistance and using momentum to get where you want to go. Yes. And one of the things that I often tell people, what I love about um, martial arts and also um, the military or professional athletes, they share something in common. They know how to respond in a predictable way to unpredictable scenarios. And people's emotional responses to change is unpredictable terrain. Mm. I mean, you have variations on what it could be, but you really never know until you get there. And so that's why, yes, okay, can you you sense we're in resistance coming up and you know how to pivot and adjust and meet that moment. And it's really an art form. I love that. So I'm going to highlight that again. Um, having a predictable response to an unpredictable situation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Uh, yeah. And so, so I don't know if you had more to add to your point before I interjected there. Go for it. No. Nope. Okay. okay. So let's work with so it. So let's stick with this for a second. I want to stick with these um, organizational change. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very curious. I think before the show we talked a little bit about, and and I think it's I think it's important to highlight what are the costs mm. to not doing this work inside an organization. Yeah. You know, um, I think I shared with you. I shared with I've had this insight recently. Just meeting with some other folks that are in the people space and. And what's amazing about people in the people space is their love for people and their, yeah. their, their belief and conviction that it is the people in your organization that make the organization what it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? We, 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 you cut us, we bleed, people matter kind of thing. Yet when we look at senior executive leaders in larger organizations, and it's not that they minimize people. It's just that their focus is on business structure. It's on market. It's on sale. It's it's mm. on the technical aspects, right? It's on the mm-hmm. things that are a little easier to grasp, a little bit easier to measure, and a lot easier mm-hmm. to quantify. And so, and then you start talking about people and culture, and and that's where it kind of dissolves, right? Yeah. And yeah. And so what I want to talk with you about is what are the costs that are being overlooked or that we're not able to get control of when we're going through a change initiative, we're going through a transformation initiative. So maybe you could speak to that for a moment. That's great. You know, there is some research to suggest that there is actually measurable costs associated with um, resistance to change, um, stress 
is uh, essentially it's costing 300 billion a year in healthcare costs and lost productivity and turnover. And so on one level, on an individual level, um, they might experience like, for example, it said that up to 90% of our doctor's visits, as well as the medications that we are prescribed um, at the doctors are associated with our maladaptive responses to stress, meaning mm. like we're we're trying to manage stress in a way that is like it, you're you're living f- like for the moment, not in the moment. And what I mean by that is like oftentimes people are like, I've got stress, I've got to manage this thing, and they have behaviors that kind of ignore the bigger picture. And so they're not taking into consideration, well, how is this response to my stress going to impact me overall? And so that's one of the problems. That's why it becomes a big health issue um, that people end up, you know. Let's click on this for a second, Shauna. What does stress look like? Mm -hmm. So if I'm, so I'm a leader. I'm a manager. I'm an executive. What am I looking yep. for? Am I looking for people being frustrated? Am I looking for people, you know, just acting out? What are the things I should be looking for that are telling me that stress is becoming a problem? Chronic health issues is one of them. Um, chronic now, health. To, to, yeah, chronic health issues. And to be fair, there are some people who have conditions like, say, you know, um, an autoimmune condition, for example, like I have a history of autoimmune conditions that came before I did my self-help work. When I get stressed and I'm not taking care of myself, my autoimmune condition flares up. So that's one chronic health issues. Um, Also conflict, whether it's like mental health conflict, that's a big one people are hearing. And usually it's like, you can kind of sense something's off if they're not willing to tell you they're having a mental health uh, problem. And that's because people are protective. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to be babied or they don't want to be seen as like not a good working member of the team, or they don't want to be, you know, cast aside or or taken off a project, that kind of thing. So people tend to hold back from saying that they feel anxious, overwhelmed, depression setting in, right? But you have to kind of be keen on noticing, hey, something's different. Um, And so, you know, just kind of as a leader being cued into your people to know who they are and their normal behaviors, when it's off of that, you'll kind of say, hey, what's going on here? Um, Conflict in the workplace is also like, you know, a hostile environment. There might be low morale, right? It, mm-hmm. it could be, you know, productivity and engagement is affected. Um, absenteeism, right? People are missing work, um, which of course increases the costs for the employers. Uh, there could also be high turnover. I know that, you know, during the pandemic, we talked about quiet quitting as a big thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably, you know, a trend that's maybe still there, but I don't, it hasn't been really talked about, but it is a thing that happens. People are disengaged from their work and you wouldn't know it because they're on the clock, but they're not productive. And it's because they're just not able to be fully in the game. They can't get their heart into the actual work because stress affects how we feel relationally to the work that we're doing. So all of these are, are, you know, essentially. So so I want to, so I want to help shape this a little bit. So we talked about some Mm -hmm. things to look for, right? 
and uh, for, hey, these are indicators of stress. And, and these are the ones that may not be obvious. There's, there's other obvious ones. I mean, uh, the last mm-hmm. several clients we've had, you know, hey, I have people coming in my office and crying, right? Yes, um, I have executives, yes. I have my directors, I have leaders of teams coming in, emotionally expressing themselves because they're overwhelmed. That's yes. obvious, right? You want to see it before then. But I want to take a moment and shape a little bit, if you would, what is a healthy culture look like? Yeah, this is a really good question. I think that um, the idea of a healthy culture really has a foundation in psychological safety. Because Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, you know, one of the key things that that um, causes, you know, kind of conflict is the mindset. But it's this more than so mindset is about how we feel. It's a feeling that leads to how we act, how we think and um, and how we relate to others. So when we look at a healthy culture, we look at a culture that can navigate the terrain of conversational conflict, right? Instead of in a way that's with resistance or kind of backing down or fighting, right? Aggressively, those are the extremes. But instead it's like, okay, recognizing, hey, there's something here. Let's be respectful of the person, even if we don't agree with the topic, for example. Um, So respect is key. Um, Recognizing that there is a structure to feedback, for example, how you provide feedback as a leader can really uplift someone or it can cause them to lose their sense of self-esteem. So we want to be able to have uplifting feedback that actually contributes to the overall productivity of that individual, but also the results for the organization. Um, And feeling a sense of trust, like you can trust that, hey, if I'm going to take a risk and try something new and innovate, I'm not going to be criticized. I'm not going to be ridiculed. I'm not going to be made fun of. I'm not going to be gossiped about, right? That's a psychologically safe environment and a culture that I believe is essential and at the heart of a healthy uh, and community. Team. I love it. I love it. And I think it's good to understand what both sides of that coin look like mm-hmm. so that we know you can, you know, because if, if you don't see those things that you just described, there's a huge opportunity in your organization, huge opportunity. And you may be overlooking it, right? Because you're focused on some mm-hmm. other things. So I want to manage our time, but there's a, a, so what I'd like to do, Shauna, if you're willing, and look, mm-hmm. we've worked together. I know you, sure. I think you know me, and I think we have some psychological safety here. I want to open up a little conversation and enter, engage a little debate with you on the idea of becoming a sovereign society. So mm. define that, and let's talk about what is the obligation responsibility of businesses in this space? Mm, This is such a great, I love this subject so much because, you know, fostering a sovereign society is at the heart of what I do. Um, And I do believe what sovereign, first of all, sovereign to me is we, of course, have the archetype of a sovereign, which means, all right, they're noble, they're royal, right? The queen, the king. But take that to a personal level. Right. Mm-hmm. When we think of ourselves in this way, we act differently than we would if we think we're less than. 
right? Mm. And so, and it's not um, from the level of, uh, you know, you want to be, keep your ego in check. And so I do believe that the sovereign individual, first and foremost, creates the sovereign society and a sovereign individual has the like that feeling of autonomy and that sense of like freedom to pursue their personal interests and passions and um with with respect to the whole right so that means they love the society that they're part of they love the culture that they're part of they love the mission of the organization, they love the the culture of their of their um, you know whatever they're a part of, and in the world, and we love the that we're part of humanity, right? So we can't leave that out of this. And so, as a sovereign um, individual, I think of it this way: like a cell within an or- organ within a body. So you have some an individual who's operating sovereign as a sovereign. They're part of a system that supports the whole. And that whole body is the society that we're talking about. So it's optimally, it's essentially it's uh, it's about the um, optimal function of our humanity. And I think that in business you know, we could say that, you know, of, of course, there's businesses, uh, you know, there's a profit associated with business. But if we only focused on profit, we would miss the bigger picture, which is we get to contribute to the greater good of all according to what fulfills us, according to what our widget is, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think every organization can think like that. You know, what are they contributing to? Because the customers that they have are going to have values and interests that essentially you want to be aligned with. And so I think that uh, a professional organization needs to be conscious of that, like the people that they that they attract in their teams and the people that they attract to buy their products um, or services, um, or they provide, you know, uh, something for, I, I believe that um, we are becoming more conscious as, in, as individuals in this uh, greater body of humanity. We're evolving, we're growing, we demand more from the companies that we do business with. All right, so I want to take, the, take a look at this and talk with you about it. And, and, not challenge, but I want to I want to push on okay. some concepts here. So I see two aspects of this. One is the individual, right? And and mm-hmm. you're saying we want people to be sovereign in their own mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. to be able to choose and go and create the space that they want to create. So we're thinking, if you're an employee or if you are part time, full time, if you're working for an organization, you're there because you choose to be and you feel fully in alignment or semi-fully in alignment with that organization and where it's going and how it's helping you achieve your mission and purpose in this world. Would you say Mm -hmm. that's pretty accurate? Sure. Okay, so that's one side. But then the other side is the the organization. And and I'm hearing some things in there. You're talking about how an organization has some now responsibility to the society it's in. Mm -hmm. And this is a big part of the narrative, right? We have environmental social uh, governance, right? ESG, we have, you know, values-based markets and people are buying based on values. So we can explore both of these together or as they overlap each other a little bit. So on the individual side, 
first of all, I love that idea, right? I think that is idealistic. I think that is a fantastic North Star to aim for. However, I think it has, I think it's very difficult to expect that the entire society will be able to make that transformation. Here's why. Mm -hmm. Because there are always going to be, or currently, there are roles and duties that are not desirable, that people Mm. are in and they don't desire them. Mm. And they're there because that's what's available. It's, you know, in, in our, what we call our energy language model, it's about level two or what I call conflict energy, where there's a winner and a loser and, and somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. Mm-hmm. And it's not the only place to be, but it is a real relevant part of our world. Yeah. And there are some people that have to take on a job that they don't want just so they can make sure yeah. they're alive. Yes, yes. And there are some roles and duties that people don't want to do, but they have to do them. Right, exactly. Now, For if we can various get rid of reasons. All that, if we can get rid of all that, then we can maybe, that gets us a little closer to this idea of sovereign, sovereign society. Sure. Um, so, so that's one aspect of this, right? So on the individual side, and we could talk more about it, but I also think being able to have what you, the work you do mm-hmm. align as closely to an organization where you feel what you're talking about, of like, I'm empowered, I'm here, I'm in alignment. Mm-hmm. I think there is a, I think it's a very reasonable bar to set for leadership, right? For leadership to be in and be expected to be aligned with an organization's core values. I think for mid-level management and, and kind of frontline level, I think those values should be embodied as to the degree possible, but to anticipate full internal alignment, I think is a little high. Mm, mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? I, I sure think there do. may be a lot to ask. Yeah. And if you do that, you may not be able to get the organism, the people that align right. with you, right? Right. I'm gonna put a put a parenthesis around this. I think with COVID and the and the virtual workforce movement, the fact that people can be remote in many different roles, not all of them, right? There's a lot of people that have to get up and go out to work every day, and they had to all through COVID. And there is a Mm. subgroup of people that can stay home and then others that can go hybrid. But because of that, we're now seeing a big sorting process, in in my own language, of people looking for organizations that they align with. Yes. Yes, they're looking that for is them. So true. Right. Okay. Right. So they want to have purpose and meaning in their work. They do. And they want to align with, with people that match their values. Right. But they also need a paycheck. Yes, exactly. Also need exactly. a paycheck. And so this, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. This phenomenon. So a couple of um, things you, you hit on. First of all, it is idealistic. And I think that's the point, right? It's an ideal to aspire for. You know, like, what is it? They, what's that saying? Shoot, shoot for the moon. You might m- miss and hit the stars kind of thing. Aim for right? the stars and you hit the moon. Something, Something like, like yeah. it. <laughs> I know you aim for the eagle. You hit the pheasant and you don't eat crow. I know that one. <laughs> I didn't know that one. So it's this ideal to aspire for with the knowing the not the attitude and the knowing like not everyone's going to be there and transformation takes time and i've said it to you before it's like 
breakthroughs happen in an instant. You can have a breakthrough and be like, aha, I got it. But to integrate that insight into your life, to embody whatever the wisdom is that came through a breakthrough, that takes time. Mm -hmm. And it takes as much time as it needs to take and Mm -hmm. no less. And so with that, I've come to have the patience for the process and witnessing people through the journey of actually transforming into their aspirations, but also recognizing, you know, you have this ideal that you're aspiring for, and you also have to have, it's like the the detached philosophy of a Buddhist, uh, which is like, you know, you're not attached to the outcome. The path of that, that, you know, uh, ideal is what changes you. So you become transformed by just simply walking that path of your aspiration. Or as an ancient axiom, a Latin axiom, um, salve ambluando, I believe it is, which means, and if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, forgive me, but it means by walking, it is solved. So we don't aim for perfect. We just walk the path of that aspiration and recognize that there's going to be experiences on that path that shape cause us to shape shift in direct proportion to that challenge. Just like when we lift those heavy weights, we're going to grow the strength in the areas that we are you know, developing. And so that's one of the things that ends up happening for people as they become developed in their own unique way and submerge because they have those ideal aspirations. But we don't have to be so rigid to that specific vision that we fail to miss all of the great um, you know, mile markers along the way that help us celebrate, hey, things are, are shifting. Um, and then there was something else that you hinted at. Now, all of a sudden, I forget. Well, let me <laughs> so talk the about ideal. this idea. Yeah. So, okay. So, so I, I love that. Like walking and it is solved, right? So by walking, it is solved. By walking, it is solved. The, and I think as individual, as an individual, I completely get that. As someone in this space, that makes sense to me. I think I operate on that without kind of con- mm. not consciously though. However, when I'm thinking about a business, right? L- running a business, running mm-hmm. a team, leading an organization, we're all goal oriented, right? Mm. We 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 got to look at something and be able to measure it. Yes, yes. And say yes. we did that, right? It's there. It's yes. measurable. It's got some shape to it. Yes. And this concept doesn't offer any of that. Like, right. what is walking? What is walking? Yes. What does that look yes. like? What it looks like to you is very different than what it looks like to me. So, if you're so true, if we're talking to folks that are listening to this, that are leading organizations, are like, oh. Sure. What is something that we can do that becomes measurable in this space? I have a couple ideas, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Sure. Um, So I think that first and foremost, we want, I I usually break down um, three different pieces. We think of goals as like one thing, but in truth, it's a component of a few things. There's a trinity here. So first and foremost, you have a vision. And so this vision is the overarching theme. So like, for example, in this context, I have a vision for a sovereign society. Okay. Then you have, um, so you have this vision and then you have the um, aspirations, 
within that vision. So it's almost like, you know, what are you reaching for within that, that ideal vision that you're holding? Then the goals are the action steps, like the managed uh, mile markers that you take. It's almost like the strategy that you're you're placing uh, to walk that that path to towards your aspirations, and those are the things that are manageable and track. You can track them. Um, now, sometimes they might be like not the favorite things to track. Like you know, oh, this many dollars was brought in. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, it mm-hmm. might it might be oh, um, we had less call uh, people call out sick this month. Right. That's the kind of um, mile marker that one might be able to keep track of. Um, and so I think that might be something to be for each organization. It's going to be unique what they need to identify as those mile markers. But that's how I look at goals is just the, simply the mile markers as we're reaching for these, you know, uh, higher aspirations. We also want to think about like, here's the characteristics to consider, like a transformational leader needs to have that clear vision for the future, but they also uh, need to know how to be able to inspire and motivate others to achieve that vision. So that could be a mile marker, Mm -hmm. right? You could actually track that. There's ways you could track that. Um, And they also need for themselves to be willing to actually take the risks um, that challenge the status quo. All right. So the risks um, could be things that help us grow. Um, it could also be, um, you know, tapping into a strong moral compass. Right. That's a characteristic that we ourselves can actually note on. A, if Again, if it's like if we're keeping track of these things, do we feel aligned or don't we? And if we tap into that compass, we'll be able to know, oh, hey, I'm I'm on track to meeting these goals. I'm in alignment with this, you know, vision, um, that kind of thing can can be managed. Um, and also, like, you know, I believe tapping into the the talent on the team, like these people also that you're working with have their incredible insights to add to the bigger picture. So we don't have to come at it from this place of thinking we have all the answers. We could actually admit to not having all the answers and finding out what other people know. What do they desire? What do they want? And then kind of think in that outward mindset, like how can I help Mm -hmm. you get that? Um, So those are kind of, I guess, tangible strategic things that someone can think about. Let me throw a couple on the plate and you just react if you could. Okay. So, and I think this would work at the individual level and the organizational level, but putting time and intense focus on Mm -hmm. identifying, you know, your core purpose, right? What's motivating Mm -hmm. you, what you want to achieve. If it's as an individual, Mm -hmm. where's the impact you want to make? Um, If you're an organization, what's your core purpose? And being transparent about it. If it's about profit, then say that and it's make about it, profit, mm-hmm. right? Make it very clear, but then make all your decisions very objective. Make your decisions objectively against that measure. Mm. And the second thing in the same vein is values. As individuals, mm-hmm. you need to know your values. Yeah. Um, I think you and I have done a lot of work on this within our, our, our project. People that know their values 
and knows they're intrinsic. Okay. There's a couple of different groups of values. There's intrinsic values, the way you operate, mm-hmm. whether it's consciously or unconsciously. And then there's um, aspirational values, the kind of person you yes. want to be, that you're yes. wanting to become. Yes. And you need yes. to have a good line between those two on a sheet of paper. Right. Right. But knowing your intrinsic values, and I like to define values as things you're willing to pay for. So if you don't, if you're not willing to pay for them or have some kind of pain or loss or sacrifice for them, Good then point. they're really not a value. Good point, right? If you know yours, if you know yours as an individual and you're looking at organizations that are very clear on theirs, it becomes a matter of a decision, an exercise in like alignment check. Hey, I know who I am and what I'm going to do. You know mm-hmm. who you are, what you want to do. Now we can see, are we a match? But statistically, I think, was it, I forgot the name of the group that did this, so I don't want to give the wrong name, um, did a study. It might have been Deloitte. It might have been. I'm not sure. Um, did a study on values. And there is zero correlation. It's a 50-50 toss-up inside of organizations that have stated values. And it's 50-50 of whether they actually act on those values. So just having them up, Having them on a website, having them on a wall is nothing. Okay. It's so, nothing today. Wow. You, you need to they, they need you need to go further, embody them, reward them, acknowledge them if you're going to have any value of them, if they're yes. going to be worth it for people yes. to make decisions. So if we're talking yes. about a sovereign society, right? We're talking about yes. how do we help align people with their mm-hmm. purpose, their values. Yes. I think a goal, a measurable goal mm-hmm. would be, let's just establish some clarity on what they are. Right. Like, and we right. can spend the next decade on that. We'll have moved the needle yes. significantly. Yes. Oh, I love how you, uh, yeah, that just made me think also of, um, you know, as a country, for example, one of the things that America values is freedom, right? So people are passionate about freedom. And what do we do every year? We celebrate our freedom, right? Now, people mm-hmm. might have opinions on whether or not we're, we're actually meeting the mark, but that's, you know, it's another conversation. But the point is, it's like, yeah, it's another one. It's about that, that um, what you just described. It's like, it's not enough to have the values written like up on a, on your website. I actually remind um, the leaders that I work with who are, you know, let's just say you're having a regular team meeting with your high level executives. You want that values statement or that mission statement and those values stated. And also like, Call people out for their alignment. You know, uh, acknowledge. Was it you who who made this? It's like um, it's like basically acknowledging those people on the team that are actually embodying those values or demonstrating what those values are in action. Um, mm-hmm. So that's an example of some a way that you can just keep it on top of mind, because here's what happens. We have these aspirations, we have these visions, but if we don't have tangible action steps that help us keep it top of mind, we're going to get caught into the, the, the to-dos of the day and those priorities that are like our meeting our baser needs and we forget all about those aspirations or we forget all about like the things that we are aligned with so that we can like do the like kind of just fill in the gaps and meet 
and meet the needs of the day. So keeping it top of mind intentionally is usually what I encourage people to do. Make practices to weave it into their team meetings. Yes. It's got to be something you're drinking from almost on a daily basis. If yes. it's going to have an impact. Yes, exactly. All right. So Shona, we've covered a lot today. We've covered a lot. Before we go, I want to ask you if you're, sp- you're speaking to our audience or listeners and mm-hmm. you know, we're all, you know, the adaptive executive. So what's one tip or one skill that you might recommend to folks they can use to be more adaptive in their work and in their leadership? One to, I'm like trying to make it meaningful. What's, if it's going to be one thing, it's going to be meaningful. <laughs> so the one thing I believe would be to know thyself to know thyself. And that means recognizing your own unique strengths, your, your geniuses, uh, your, you know, there's multiple in, mm-hmm. in with it, within us, these archetypes within us. Um, and, and so when you know yourself, you actually know when to make a change. You can feel it coming. You can intuit like those those pivot points when they're when they're coming instead of being smacked in the face by them when they just hit you over the head kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to know thyself, personal mastery, and to develop that and keep that as like a constant. Like when people work out, they don't work out to reach that goal, whether it's a weight or a strength, and say, okay, I'm done, I hit that. They maintain that development, and so with personal mastery, or when you know yourself, you're developing personal mastery into your routine, your, your regular operating system. Fantastic. So if I wanted to work on self-mastery and, and reaching my goals, is there anything Mm -hmm. that you might be able to offer to help with that? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I start everyone um, on this journey with that specifically in mind. Um, And so I have my, you know, through the course of the past 20 years, I have figured out what that beginning of the journey actually looks like for people to develop their mastery um, and to to know themselves, to bring that, you know, again, what makes the invisible visible. Um, and so, you know, one if it's one-on-one, let's just say, imagine that whether it's a business owner, an executive, someone in a high leadership role, they want to develop mastery and, you know, kind of one-on-one work specifically targeting that is key. So essentially I work to help them discover the difference between their ego's value systems versus their higher aspirational soul's motivations um, and to understand their behaviors that they need to like uh, acknowledge and work on um, and then transform any subconscious programs, the trauma patterns and the layers of these um, defenses that we have kind of embedded within our pat- patterns. And then we work to um, develop, like rewire the nervous system. And that's essentially like the, the main focus is like literally rewiring yourself for safety and success. And there's a science to that. And I facilitate people to be able to do that and operate from that really high level functioning as an exceptional leader. Fantastic. So Shona Pelton, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks uh, would like to follow up or connect with you, how would they do that? Mm-hmm. 
So they can easily go to my website, which is just my name, shawnapelton.com, where they'll be guided towards whatever, you know, um, prompted to do whatever they want. So if it's, you know, reach out for a discovery call that uh, will be there. Um, And I also have, um, you know, I think I'm in your system as well, Greg. And that's actually, if it's okay for me to mention, like, you know, for on an organizational level, we can take the same concept of transformation from the person one-on-one to the team. It's like, how do you develop the leader? So to um, be that transformational leader that inspires a team through times of great change. And so we can do that as well. And I believe they can find I think if I were to guide them anywhere, I would guide them to you, Greg, so that they can have that conversation with you. And then they get me as part of that package. Thank you so much. Yes, we've we've done some work on projects. And if you end up working with us, you'll likely uh, be introduced to Shauna as well. So Shauna, so your website, and then tell us about mm-hmm. the goal activator, if you could. So sure, I have a a tool that I like to share with people. It's called the Goal Activator, and it does help people establish that vision that I talked about. And it also helps them break down the steps needed to identify, well, what are these goals that are going to help me meet that that higher uh, um, aspirational you know, thing that I have in mind. And so, uh, a goal the Goal Activator is a free course and it's a uh, an online and I with video and uh, modules I walk you through the steps to aligning with that higher aspirational vision that you have and also it happens to come with a first of its kind virtual vision board technology which helps to program the subconscious mind because that's what's needed you can't just think oh, this is what I want to do. You need to be able to actually condition your brain to be able to spot those mile markers or to be able to align with that that goal that you have in mind. So it's all, all the components are included in that course. All right. And so we'll put a link in the show notes for that. Great. As well. And so Shauna Pelton, thank you so much. Yay. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.